Hello, all of you, and welcome to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. Before I turn it over to Pastor Kyle, hi there, and welcome back to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a great day. Hope that things are going well for you. I appreciate you joining us and being consistent in uh, hearing what God has to say and hearing what God has going on at Grace Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about Grace Baptist, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. Our services are also live on YouTube. You can find those anytime. But let's get into the text today. Let's go ahead and jump in to our last lesson, our last sermon on the book of James. Now, when we completed last week, one would think that after James instructs us to look ahead uh, to what's coming, to what should be on the horizon for uh, Christians, we would believe that he's just about finished. But just like any good movie or television show or even a good sequencing of a favorite album, sometimes there are multiple endings before the actual ending occurs. And in my opinion, James completes this letter in this way, and he at least leaves the best ending for us. So before we get to that, let's back up just for a second. Coming off of our series on the disciples' prayer, we wanted to take our faith and put it to work. That was the purpose of James. We wanted to be doers and not hearers only, James 1. We wanted to be a church free of favoritism and a people whose works are evidence of their faith, James chapter 2. James calls us to be a church that is extremely careful of the tongue that it uses. The mighty and powerful tongue, though it's small, can cause all kinds of harm. But also that same tongue is the one that we ask with boldness for wisdom from above. That's James 3. James 4, after showing his disappointment for the wars and the passions and the murders within the church, James writes of the imperativeness of submitting to God and resisting the devil. And last week, while castigating the rich seemingly, James again put us on guard against the worldly, deceptive injustice of the world, encouraging us instead to look ahead with endurance, with the patience of an Old Testament prophet, enduring with hope that our God is just, and enduring with the truth of the faith that we hold dear. And that brings us to today's text. James gives us an and one more thing to consider. And that's our title for today. So let's read the last portion of James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again. And the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him back, let that person know 
that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Would you pray with me? God, we've come to the conclusion. Let us not think of it as just the, oh, by the way, last words of James. Lord, these words carry weight. They again propel us into action. Today, Lord, I pray for obedience to these actions. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. All right, let's begin back at the top and start defining a few of these words, beginning in verses 13 and 14. The first one that we see that we come across is suffering. No doubt, we suffer in various ways. But more than likely, this is not referring to a physical ailment. We'll touch on that in just a moment. More than likely, this suffering is coming from a burden. Decisions that need to be made. Or dealing with consequences of decisions that have already been made. The weight of the suffering is heavy on your mind. It's difficult to move around them. It's difficult to function because of the pressure that is formed from them. This is the suffering that James speaks of. And in typical James fashion that we've grown to love, well, some of us anyways, he then flips the script on us, referring to those that are cheerful, that are living with pure joy, that are living in that rare state of, you know what? Things are pretty good right now. What is the common theme for both ends of this spectrum? According to James, what are they to be doing? How are they to be doing the word they are to pray? And here we are, back where we all started. When things are good, pray. When things are rough, pray. When the situation looks hopeless, pray. Psalm 50 says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, we misread these verses in a couple of different ways. Number one, do not let pray constantly or pray ceaselessly keep you from praying because of how daunting of a task that seems to be. How are we to pray? Persistently, consistently, and routinely we are to be in prayer. It doesn't mean that we should all become monks and nuns and spend our whole day in reverent prayer. Second thing, giving thanks in everything does not mean giving thanks for everything. When tragedy strikes your life, your prayer doesn't need to be, thanks for that, Lord. I know that I needed it. No, when tragedy strikes, we can still be thankful in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the tragedy. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Before we proceed any further, we want to take time to do what the Word says. So when we were in our church service, we paused and we played a song and we had a first response time specifically for those that are suffering, those that are trying to make a decision, those that are suffering because of a decision that was already made, those that are suffering for and the need for guidance and the need for wisdom. And I want to ask you, what are you burdened with? If you'd like to, pause this podcast and take a moment to reflect on what decisions, what you're suffering from in your life and go to God. Now, let me pray for us. 
Father, for the listener that is suffering, that is burdened, that feels almost paralyzed by the weight that's on their shoulders. You are the one, Lord, that instructs us to pray, to pray in submission to you and your will, to pray in submission that your will is perfect and that we are to be obedient. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, show them the steps to take. Show them the path that is straight that will bring you honor and bring you glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. All right, now let's continue. Not only are we to pray, but verse 14 says to bring in others to pray over you. Now, it's not that elders or pastors of a church are any more spiritual or holier than a lay person, but it's including the leaders of the church to pray over you as well, to do it in company. Maybe then you also ask the question when reading that text, Kyle, why haven't we busted out the oil and poured it over anyone? Well, that's easy. Even though there are some churches that use it symbolically, here James is saying that the elders of the church pray, but also provide the olive oil, which was used during this time as an ointment or as a cure-all for many illnesses. Today, there are even some medicinal qualities of using olive oil on your skin. The power comes from the prayer. The provision comes from God, and He is the one that provides through the medicine that is given for us. The power of prayer is what James describes in verse 15. Through prayer and prayer with others, the Lord will raise them up. Now, be careful with this language. It does not mean that God will raise them from the dead, but to be raised up can mean physically healed. And it's also coupled in the text with forgiveness of sins. So the illness could itself has stemmed from sinful activity and spiritual healing could come about as well. That's the point. Both spiritual and physical healing can come through prayer. This is no different than what we've read of the men that lowered their friend through the ceiling to meet Jesus, or the account of the friends that brought the paralytic to Jesus on a stretcher. This comes from Matthew 9. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Remember, healing was not given because of the faith of his friends, but it included the personal faith of the paralytic. But also we reflect. Yes, illness can be a consequence of sin, but do not believe for a minute that every single time that we are sick, it is an infliction from God and his just judgment. Sickness came about as a part of the fall all the way back in Genesis 3. And it's now as natural a part of our life just as sin is, but it's unwise to think that your cancer or COVID or flu or any other disease is because God has punished you for something that you've done. But it is this worldly affliction, something that God can use to draw us closer to Him. God can use anything. Can God use sickness for His ministry and as a tool for you to minister to others? You better believe it. But that's the difficult part. Can we possess the attitude of God using us while we're sick, while we're also dealing with this sickness? If you're anything like me, I'm pitiful and pathetic 
when I'm sick. And I'm not looking for God to use me, even though God could use me if I made myself available. Again, I want you to pause at this point and I want to encourage you. What are you dealing with physically? Would you pause? Would you storm the throne of grace with boldness? Would you ask others to pray over you or with you? How is it that you need healing from the great physician? Let's pray again. God, for those listeners that are physically hurting, there is so much physical pain in this world, and it stretches all throughout different countries, different regions of the world. Anyone that may hear my voice very well could be dealing with a physical ailment. All of these, God, only prove to us that we are not in your presence yet. But God, encourage us. Through your Holy Spirit, convict us that even through sickness, we are vessels to be used by you. We can minister to others. We can show our grace to others because you have shown grace to us even amidst our sickness. Lord, we also pray for healing. You are the great physician, and it could be in your will and in your timing that the healing of a person may draw someone else closer in relationship to you, O oh God. Give us endurance, Lord, to get through the illness. Give us the endurance, Lord. Strengthen us to use this illness as a ministry tool so that your kingdom may be advanced and the name of Jesus may be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Third thing for today, as we move on down to verse 16, this one can tend to make people a little uneasy. It's talking about confession, confession of sins. Now, for a church, we can often fall into that trap of if I'm confessing to the Lord, then no one really needs to know my business. No doubt, we're not offering or asking for everyone to openly confess their sins in a public forum like a church, where we also stream on the internet and just about anyone is privy to the information. We know that you can overshare, and it can be just as unproductive as keeping sin under wraps. But sharing, nonetheless allows for accountability. Sharing, confessing, allows for honesty. It allows for others to walk alongside you as you aim to put this sin to death in repentance. Men, when was the last time that you confessed something to your wives? Ladies, when was the last time you confessed something to your husbands? If you're single, do you have a group of friends that can ask you pointed questions and give you accountability of things that you do when you're by yourself? Students, kids, are you able to confess to your parents? Or are you too worried about the repercussions? Parents, do we show the proper grace to our children that Christ has also shown to us? 
This verse continues that we confess, we do this because the prayers of the righteous are powerful. It's not magic. It's not magical words or incantations, but it's but asking the pastors to pray over you, it doesn't bring you any closer to getting what you've asked, but God does respond to the righteous. Please understand what I said. When the righteous pray, God responds, and he responds in his will and in his timing. Continuing on down, verses 17 and 18, we get to yet another illustration from James. But don't be too quick to pass it by. Based on what we said of the prayers of the righteous, why is it that Elijah supposedly resonates with us? Look at what the text says. It says that he's human, just as we are. My prayers, your prayers, if we are righteous, before God, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then they carry the same amount of weight as the prayers of Elijah, the man that brought on rain when rain was needed, that brought on famine from the Lord, and the Lord willed it. The man even called for fire from the heavens, and God sent fire. Lastly, verses 19 and 20. We know that the Lord is the one that changes the hearts of men, But through prayer, believers get to take on a role in petitioning to God on their behalf. This is not praying for the dead. This isn't praying for someone to get out of purgatory because that's unbiblical. This is praying on behalf of those friends and family members who are lost. And God uses the righteous to help spark the repentance in them. I'd say... More than likely, you haven't heard this story. But when it comes to those that are praying for the hearts of others to be changed, I've gotten to experience this firsthand. My grandfather, Master Sergeant William T. Clayton, or better known as Papaw Bill, growing up, there were two things that you didn't discuss at Pap's house. No religion, no politics. And that was pretty easy. Now, some of you may ask, well, good grief, what in the world did you guys talk about? Did you just sit around and look at each other? No, you know me good and well. You you should know that coming from my family, there was always plenty of baseball to be discussed. But it was my grandmother who made church a priority for the family. Church was a priority for her two sons and her daughter. How did God seek out my grandfather, even though he wouldn't go and even though he wouldn't participate? I kid you not. House that he lived in for over 50 years. What did God do? He built a church right next door to him. (laughs) Can't make that up. But I often wonder, how many prayers did my grandmother lift up on my grandfather's behalf? And because of that, how many prayers did her two sons and her daughter also lift up on behalf of my grandfather? I don't know, but I do know that what I got to witness was my 80-year-old grandfather surrender his life to Jesus Christ. He'd been in and out of the hospital. He'd finally gotten to the point where the doctor said they couldn't do much else. And so he said, listen, I just want to go home. I went to see him, 
And when I saw him, he looked different. I sat down and he said, well, Mr. Kyle, they told me I could have three days to live and I could have three weeks to live, but I want you to know that I got saved. It was incredible. That three days or three weeks turned into six months. And any time that I read Acts chapter 16, the story of the soldier when Paul and Silas were in prison, I can't help but think of my grandfather. Paul and Silas break out of prison. The soldier comes up to him and says, what must I do to be saved? Paul, Peter looks at him and says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He goes home, tells his family. His family gets saved. And we believe that this soldier is one of the key people that started the church at Philippi that Paul writes to later on, the church at uh, the Philippians. So again, for a third time, I want to ask you, what about you? Who are you praying for? Who are you wanting to see surrender to Jesus Christ? Are you burdened by this? Is God growing you closer to Him because of your obedience to pray for someone else? Maybe you'll get to see it. Maybe you won't. But we are called to be obedient in prayer. Are you here today and you are the one that has questions about following in a relationship with Jesus Christ? As always, I want to encourage you through any of the social media means that I mentioned earlier, reach out to us. Or you can email me personally, kyle at gracecartersville.com. And I'd love to have a conversation with you. Open up some dialogue to see what it means. But just know that you too can believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. One last time, would you pray with me? God in heaven, we are burdened with names and faces of people that we love that are separated from you, that do not have a relationship with you. And we need you, Lord, to intervene. We come to you, God, knowing you are the one that seeks out men and changes their hearts and bends them into surrender to you. Lord, for the family members that want to see fathers come to Christ, that want to see mothers come to Christ, that want to see children come to Christ, oh God, would you let it be so in your will and in your timing so you would be glorified. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us at the Grace Baptist Church podcast. A little bit different this week, but we want to be doers of the word. And if the word says to stop and pray, we want to stop and pray. We love you. Thank you for joining us today. Remember that at Grace Baptist Church, we love God, serve others, and show grace.